My name is E. Michael Jones. I'm the editor of Culture Wars magazine and the author of numerous books, all of which were banned from Amazon. That means both paper books like The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and e-books like the Chivalta Catholica series on the Jewish question, which was originally published in 1890. That e-book is now available again online at culturewars.com. Enter the promo code at the bottom of your screen to download a free copy. Please share this video with your family and friends. Thanks for watching. At the end of Euripides' play, The Bacchae, Cadmus asked his daughter Agave, what do you see? Agave is sitting center stage with the severed head of her son Pentheus on her lap. Pentheus, king of Thebes, was torn limb from limb by the women of Thebes as they danced naked on the mountainside, worshiping the Asiatic god Dionysus. Still intoxicated by the revelry that led to her son's death, Agave says, it's a lion's head a trophy for the palace. At this point, Cadmus says, look carefully, study it more closely. As the intoxication wears off, Agave recognizes what she has done and answers, I see horror, I see suffering, I see grief. Does it still look like a lion, Cadmus asked? No, it's Pentheus, I am holding his head. You were mad, Cadmus tells his daughter. The city was possessed by Dionysus. At this point, Agave awakes to the full consequences of her actions. I see now, she says, Dionysus has destroyed us. America went through its own bout of Dionysian intoxication in the days following May 25th, when a Minneapolis cop by the name of Derek Chauvin knelt on the neck of a 46-year-old black man by the name of George Floyd. Floyd died of a fentanyl overdose, but the media blamed his death on Chauvin. Corrupted by 66 years of bad education, America's black lumpen proletariat erupted in an orgy of rioting that brought the rule of law to an end in many of America's large cities. The rioting was based on an incident, and the incident was captured in an image. What did Americans see when they saw Officer Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck? They saw racism. Palestinians who watched the same video, however, saw something else. They recognized the knee hold that Officer Chauvin inflicted on Floyd as the same technique which Israeli police routinely used on Palestinians. Missing from the mainstream account of Floyd's death was any mention of the role which Anti-Defamation League played in weaponizing the Minneapolis Police Department. The ADL has been pressuring police departments across the country for years to train with Israeli instructors to learn submission techniques like the knee on the throat hold. But more importantly, the policemen who are subjected to the Israelification of local police forces learn more than techniques. They learn attitudes. And the main attitude they learn is that they should treat their fellow citizens, the people who fund their local police departments with their tax money, in the same way that Israelis treat Palestinians. If the image of Officer Chauvin kneeling on the neck of a black man symbolized white racism, then the image of George Floyd symbolized the black man as victim of that racism and Black Lives Matter as his champion. But here, appearances are deceiving as well because Jews are behind this side of the equation as well. 
During the time leading up to the riots in Ferguson, Missouri, George Soros gave Black Lives Matter $33 million. The ADL is involved on this side of the conflict as well. With Israel's annexation of the West Bank looming, the ADL is concerned that the backlash that the annexation is sure to cause might spread to its proxy warriors in Black Lives Matter, as in fact did happen in England. The Stakeholders Analysis Memo, which was issued by the ADL's Government Relations, Advocacy and Community Engagement Department and marked as a draft, warns that the group will need to find a way to defend Israel from criticism without alienating other civil rights organizations, elected officials of color, and Black Lives Matter activists and supporters. The memo suggests that the group hopes to avoid appearing openly hostile to public criticism of annexation while it works to block legislation that harshly censures Israel or leads to material consequences such as conditioning United States military support. The ADL was not the only Jewish organization supporting Black Lives Matter. According to a report in the Jewish Telegraph Agency, more than 400 Jewish organizations and synagogues in the United States have signed on to a letter that asserts unequivocally Black Lives Matter. Those groups represented a broad spectrum of religious, political, gender, and racial identities. The list of signatories from small congregations to major Jewish organizations represents millions of Jewish people in the United States, the organizers, according to the statement. What name do we give to this involvement? In America, it was called the Black Jewish Alliance. For the 70 years following the lynching of Leo Frank, Jewish organizations like the Anti-Defamation League, or ADL, and the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, tried to foment race war in the United States. Permit me to say something about Leo Frank, the only Jew ever lynched in the United States. Frank was the president of a pencil company in Atlanta, Georgia, who was found guilty of raping and then murdering Mary Fagan, a 13-year-old employee. Because of his act, Leo Frank was condemned to death. At this point, the American Jewish community tried to save him in spite of his reputation as a sexual pervert. And after dragging a number of prominent citizens into the case, they succeeded in getting his sentence commuted in a way that was so scandalous that the citizens of Marietta, Mary's hometown, took the law into their own hands and captured and then lynched Leo Frank. This incident helped launch the ADL as a national organization. In 1986, Frank received a posthumous pardon from Ronald Reagan. The culmination of this campaign, launched by the Black Jewish Alliance, came in the 1960s with the creation of the Civil Rights Movement. But the Jewish revolutionary spirit goes back farther than that. It goes back to the foot of the cross, when the Jewish high priest Annas and Caiaphas told Jesus that they would accept him as their Messiah, if he came down from the cross and created the earthly kingdom they wanted. He didn't do that, and the Jews chose Barabbas instead. By rejecting Christ as their Messiah, the Jews rejected the Logos incarnate. And when they rejected the Logos, they rejected the order God created for this universe. And when they rejected that, they became revolutionaries, which is what they are today in places like St. Louis.
St. Louis, Missouri was founded in 1764 by two French fur traders, Pierre Laclede and Auguste Chouteau, and named after King Louis IX of France. Over the course of the 19th century, it became the home to many Catholic immigrants from Ireland and Germany. Many Frenchmen fought against the revolution. They were known as Les Chouans, and their uprising was known as the Vendée. Some Frenchmen left France to escape the revolution. Many of them came to America to cities like Quebec and Montreal in Canada, but also to cities like New Orleans and St. Louis in America. They did this to escape the revolution, but now the revolution has followed their descendants to places like St. Louis. A man by the name of Umar Lee wants to tear down the statue of St. Louis IX and rename the city Confluence. As in Minneapolis, appearances are deceptive. Lee claims to be a Muslim, although he also claims to be a descendant of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. He claims to have the support of Black Lives Matter, but why should they hold a grudge against the French king from the 13th century? Did Louis IX own black slaves? Did he have secret cotton plantations in Paris? No. Of course not. Louis IX's crime was that he burned the Talmud. Do blacks care about the Talmud? Do they know what it is? Do they know about the blasphemies it contains? Which was the real reason it was burned? Probably not. As in Minneapolis, the group behind the protest is invisible. The Jewish revolutionary spirit is behind the protest in both cities. The battle in St. Louis is between Catholics and Jews, but Umar Lee, as frontman for the Jews, must disguise this fact and turn the conflict into a battle between blacks and whites. We don't need for our children and our citizens to leave the art museum and be assaulted by the statue of King Louis IX. If you want to be a just city, you can't be named after a racist, an anti-Semite. Who was an anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, anti-black crusader. He does not need to be on public property overlooking our city. I'm not open to dialogue with Nazis and the far right uh, and people of that nature. Those are people you can't uh, have a reasonable discussion with and that's what it is. This is a form of identity theft. It also leads to violence because once a group has white identity imposed upon it, the people in that group no longer have the right to free speech or assembly. This is precisely what happened in St. Louis. After Umar Lee turned a group of Catholics who had assembled to pray the rosary in defense of the statue into white people, Black Lives Matter showed up and felt entitled to beat up a 60-year-old Catholic who was trying to pray the rosary because white people have no rights. The revolution of 2020 in America is similar to the French Revolution because when the revolution came to France in 1789, Jewish involvement was not apparent. Abbe Agustin Barouel suppressed the Simonini letter which proved Jewish involvement when he wrote his memoirs illustrating the history of Jacobinism. 
and he exonerated the Whigs who used their weaponized Masonic Lodge to bring down the Bourbon monarchy and unleash first anarchy and then tyranny in France. Jewish involvement in the French Revolution didn't become apparent until Napoleon emancipated the Jews in 1806. In 1890, Civita Cattolica, the official magazine of the Vatican, did a three-part series on the Jewish question in France one century after the French Revolution. Their conclusion was simple but stunning. Any country which turned away from the laws created by Christian kings that the French had done in 1789 would end up being ruled by Jews. Like Civita Cattolica, Georg Ratzinger, the great uncle of Pope Benedict XVI, traced Jewish hegemony and finance to the French Revolution. Following Napoleon's emancipation of the Jews, Jews took over the economies of one nation after another in Europe because of their sharp business practices. What Ratzinger calls Jüdisches Erwerbsleben, the Jewish practice of business life, allowed them to cheat Christian natives who had been taught to work hard, be trusting, and love their neighbor. Jewish immorality and finance, in other words, gave the Jews an unfair economic advantage in Catholic countries. According to Ratzinger, the emancipation of the Jews whose views and concepts contradicted the laws and customs of the Christian nations could not help but have a destructive and corrupting effect on the entire Christian society. This fact alone explains why Jews are able to accumulate riches so quickly. The example of moral corruption has a contagious effect, and that explains the corrupting effect of Jewish influence on commerce. Ratzinger claimed that it was an act of supreme foolishness when the necessary protections for the social order were lifted in the years following 1789. Once this happened, it was only a matter of time before the Jews would gain the upper hand because the business ethics they derived from their study of the Talmud taught them that cheating the Goyim was a virtue. This was particularly the case among the benevolent peoples who made up the population of Catholic nations who have been taught to work hard and trust civil authority as defending their interests. Once these people fell into the hands of the usurers, they found they could not extricate themselves from its tentacles in spite of their frugality. Because of the widespread acceptance of usury in the period following the French Revolution, just about everyone was impoverished and only the Jews got rich. Ratzinger's book appeared in 1892, shortly following the publication of Rerum Novarum, Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on the condition of the working classes, and the three-part series in Civita Cattolica, which warned Catholics about, quote, the voracious octopus of Judaism, unquote. The anger at Jewish business practices had reached the boiling point because those involved in the lucrative professions could amass riches at the cost of others in a few short years. This is the situation we find ourselves in today. America is in the middle of a revolution. As in Russia in 1917, where the revolution succeeded, in Germany in 1919, where it was thwarted, and even in China, where the Cultural Revolution in 1966 was led by Jews like Sidney Rittenberg, 
A revolution is not like inviting guests to dinner. It can't be that civilized, that courteous, that gracious, that gentle. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Jews play the major role in the American Cultural Revolution of 2020. George Soros is one of those Jews. After helping to create color revolutions in virtually every country which separated from the Soviet Union, Soros is creating a colored revolution in the United States with the help of groups like Antifa, which has Jewish roots going all the way back to Germany in the 1930s, and Black Lives Matter. Soros has also taken over large segments of local government by backing candidates for offices like district attorney with money from the Open Society Foundation. Missouri Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner is one of those candidates. Gardner has crippled law enforcement in St. Louis by enforcing the law based on the color of the citizen. After one year in office, Gardner let it be known she would not prosecute marijuana crimes. In fact, in 2019, Gardner prosecuted only 1,000 of the over 7,000 cases the St. Louis Police Department submitted to her for prosecution. She then drove the governor from office and filed charges against the St. Louis Police Department under the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1865, accusing them of being a racist conspiracy. The Gardner-Soros connection is one of the best examples of the revival of the Black Jewish Alliance after its demise in 1967. Gardner also threatened to press charges against the couple who defended their house with firearms after the police refused to respond to their call when a black mob broke into their gated community. The outcome of the current revolution is uncertain at this moment. One of the main reasons for pessimism is the attitude of the Catholic Church toward its own saints and its own people. Outgoing Bishop Robert Carlson has defended the statue, but his successor Mitchell Rosansky of Springfield, Massachusetts has yet to take a position on the issue. Since Rosansky is known as a proponent of Catholic Jewish dialogue and a protege of the notorious Judeophile Cardinal Keeler of Boston, Prospects for confronting the group responsible for the revolutionary vandalism in St. Louis look dim at best. We are now in a situation similar to the one which prevailed in the mid to late 1970s when one country after another fell to communism. That situation changed in the Annus Mirabilis of 1979 when the Ayatollah Khomeini led the overthrow of American materialism in Iran in February and Pope John Paul II led a similar uprising against Marxist materialism in Poland four months later. The same type of spiritual revolution can save the situation now, but only if the church abandons the failed experiment known as Catholic Jewish dialogue and returns to her traditional teaching on the Jews. The Jews need to be confronted with their sins as St. Peter did in the Acts of the Apostles when he told them that they killed Christ. The contemporary version of that accusation would include Jewish participation in both political and sexual revolutions, which have led to untold deaths under Marxism and unprecedented moral corruption under Wilhelm Reich, 
the Jew who created the term sexual revolution. Success in the culture wars will involve working for the Jews' conversion rather than begging in vain for their friendship and approval. It will involve asking the Jews of St. Louis if they agree with the revolutionary program that Rabbi Susan Talva has endorsed. The alternative is violence. Like Chivalta's series on the Jewish question, Ratzinger ended his book with a warning of what would follow if his call for reform were not heeded. Like Chivalta's warning, Ratzinger found uncanny fulfillment less than 50 years in the future. As he put it, a reaction against the Jewification of our culture is now building momentum among the common man. That movement is hardly perceptible today, but is going to grow like an avalanche. That movement would be irresistible at this very moment if it weren't lacking a leader. Just in case you didn't know, the German word for leader is Führer.